0: Hello and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Brock Meyer. Well, Church family, a month ago we started a series that we're just now getting back to. Um, between, we had, we had two uh, messages that we first came out with, and, and we talked about the glory of God in creation, okay, and we talked about how the glory of, of it all started in, in good. He said, this is good, this is good, this is good. Um, then we talked about that we were created in the Imago day, the, the image of God, and then we had um, Bob, who was the triple amputee. Y'all remember Bob whenever he was here? Then we had... Um, the, the women's group just kind of took over the service last week, and uh, really the Holy Spirit is what took over the, the message last week, but now we're coming back to it, and so we went through Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and now we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 3, and this is what is known as the fall of man, so it's all good, we're walking with God, we're walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day, life is amazing, right, it's so good, until it wasn't, and now we have had to pay the price for the sins of Adam ever since. A proper understanding of the fall is so important for us as believers, therefore it helps us kind of undergird the importance of us having a need for a Savior. If Lois Lane is never in trouble, there's no need for Superman. And we need to understand that we are in trouble. We are in a deep pit. We are disconnected. And it's not just that that, uh, we're lowest Lane and we got taken captive and that we need someone to come in and and rescue us. No, the Bible says that we actually are dead in our sin, in our trespasses. This is a pretty bleak situation that we find ourselves in. So a proper understanding of the fall and the disconnect between God and man, only makes the glory of the cross that much more beautiful. And so we just don't want to skip over this, and it's just always all good, but we're going to talk about the heaviness of sin this morning. And not any one particular sin that anyone is is committing or or living in now, but just the the overall uh, engagement of mankind into sin that separates us from God. Adam and Eve were created in this God-centered reality, and their perspective was God only. They viewed all of life, really, from his perspective. And then, with the fall, sin entered the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve, and it changed everything in Genesis chapter 3. There's a serpent, and Eve is in the garden, and the serpent says, Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from that tree? And the serpent said, if you would eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. You will know what God knows. So Eve ate. It says that Adam was with her while while she ate. Eve gave fruit to Adam. And the consequences, it says, they immediately felt naked. Immediately they felt exposed. Immediately they felt this, this guilt and they felt shame. And, and upon entering into sin, they exited a perfect relationship with God, and the guilt and the shame began to wear on them, and they ran and hid. God comes into the scene, and he says, Adam, where are you? And they're hiding, and they tried their best to cover up their guilt and their shame by sowing fig leaves together in their attempt to cover themselves there's a the curse that comes upon creation because of this fall the curse is this that the serpent will crawl on his belly he's cursed above all of the wild beasts of the field for woman childbearing will be hard for man your work will be by the sweat of your brow it'll be thorns and thistles and the ground will produce fruitlessness the earth, thorns and thistles, and for all of mankind, the removal from the Garden of Eden, removed from the place of intimacy with God. Even in many parts of the world today, the number one cause of death amongst women is childbirth. There is a curse that it's no longer a joy to bring forth life, it actually demands your life to produce more life. And for man, it's not just that he cursed work, that wasn't the curse, but the curse is fruitless work. Y'all feel like you just give yourself to something and you're spinning your tires and you never produce. You're like, man, I just worked at that thing for 40 years. Yeah, that's the weight of the fall that we have had from the intimacy and in the relationship that comes with God. This morning it might feel heavy, and that's the goal, is for us to feel the weight and the heaviness of our disconnection with God so that we love our connection to him and want to pursue it even more. One of the effects of the fall is there now is a self-centeredness that has come upon man. Adam and Eve began to view life from their perspective instead of from God's perspective. They became the center of reality. And mankind is gripped by a pervasive sense of self-centeredness even today. We live for the pleasure, the comfort, and the security of self. Instead of finding joy and pleasure in relationship with God, we pursue fulfillment through man-made substitutes. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13 says that we have put off these things with God and we have tried to make our own pleasures in and of ourselves. Look at Isaiah chapter fifty. 6 and verse 11, it says the prophet Isaiah captures the heart of the fallen mankind when he writes, they all have turned to their own way and each of them seek their own gain. We become selfish. How many of y'all know you can be in a conversation with someone? And for whatever reason you feel perhaps a little bit left out. And there is this driver in you to say something, to do something, to cause a scene. To who I just want to be seen or to be noticed, there becomes this, this, this desire of self. I realize this in my own kids. They do not need to be taught how to be selfish. It's already in them. They were born into sin. King David said this: He said, in sin my mother conceived me. Sin happened at conception. Seed, egg, come together to form. Conception. Sinner. Heavy, right? King David says, in conception, there's sin. That's how my mother conceives me. And my kids, they come out of the womb screaming and crying and throwing a fit immediately. Do they not? Ah, I need something. I need food. I want comfort. I want something. I don't want that gook in my eyes. Get that out of me. Who's this weirdo? <laughs> That's your dad. <laughs> and, and I don't have to teach my kids, fight for your own toy. And tell your brother and sister to stay out of your room. It's natural who they are. Sin is their nature. It's who they are to their core. They're sinners. It's who I am to my core. It's who who I am disconnected from God. And sin has made us big time disconnected. It has brought about a spiritual death. The immediate result in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, is it says that if you will eat from this tree, you will surely die. There's a spiritual death that goes on. The Bible refers to this this death in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Check this out. It doesn't say that you're just merely sick. It doesn't say that you're ailing. It doesn't say because of sin. We're kind of, we're kind of limping along. But you're good. You're good. You just got, it just kind of dinged you a little bit. But you'll be fine. You'll be able to make it. It says you are dead in your trespasses and sin. That you are disconnected from God. It's not just take a little bit of medicine, show up to church on Sundays, just kind of get some, some medicine and you'll be fine. We're all basically good, right? You're all, we're all just kind of good people. Hey, I mean, after all, Imago day, we've been made in the image of God, right? We just kind of tarnished the image a little bit, like we smudged it, but we're good, Right? We are disconnected from God. We become the object of God's wrath is what Ephesians chapter 2 does. And in order for us to be restored back to that impression of God, to become like God or like Christ again, we've got to have a Savior, Jesus, to make us like him again. And until that happens, we are nothing like him we have become disconnected. We're dead in our abilities to relate to God. We're dead towards spiritual things. We're not alive to the glory of God. We walk into the presence and we're unmoved because a dead heart cannot be moved. Have you ever, I'll tell you, dead people are not good for anything. You're putting a softball team together? Don't pick a dead person. They're not good at softball hey, maybe we'll just go use them as a pinch runner. Hey, no, they're not good at running. They're not good at hitting. They're just, you can't do it. Why? Because you're dead. You can't, you you, you can't, they're not gonna, I was about to say they're not gonna vote in an election, but sometimes they do (laughs) vote in an election. I guess in America, you can still be dead and still vote. It's the place of opportunity, you know what I'm saying? Um, But dead people don't, Pick, especially spiritually dead, do not pick the preeminent one to reign and rule over their life. They do not have this grand idea. Dead people don't have ideas. And they're not going to get this grand idea that we're going to choose to live for Jesus. And we're going to see our sin and ask Jesus to come into our heart and to, and to forgive us of our sins and cause us to come alive again. Dead people don't have those ideas. Dead people aren't moved towards running to the altar. Dead people don't, they're not moved to lifting their hands and worship to the Lord. Why? Because you're disconnected, you're cut off from God. It says that you're now self-centered. And you see, in Genesis chapter 6, it says, all of the people were only evil all of the time. That's pretty inclusive. And that's just Genesis 6. I mean, we're only six chapters in. This is the story of Noah, and God's like, what just happened? And he wipes them all out, right? Six chapters in. Only evil all of the time. That's pretty inclusive. Dead people don't love the presence. Dead people don't have this engagement toward the Lord. The only need that dead people have is a resurrection. They have a need to be resurrected again, to have life supernaturally breathed inside of them. John chapter 3 Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he says, what, how, what's the salvation thing? How do you become born again? And he says, the spirit blows wherever he will. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit does he cause the human heart to come alive. You in and of yourself, you're not gonna come up with a good idea to choose God. Check this out. Ephesians chapter two and verse 12. Paul piles up this case against us. He digs a deep grave and then buries us in it. With this, he says that we are separated from God, we're aliens of God, we're strangers to the covenant, we're without hope and we're without God. And then to make matters worse, he says that we're objects of God's wrath. Because of sin, there now is a target upon our lives. That's what the Bible says. And we stand in the crosshairs of the Almighty One. That he's got to render justice or judgment upon the offender toward his glory. We can't live our lives offending the creator and think that we're going to get away with it. There will be punishment for that sin. Part of that punishment is that our spirit man is dead and separated and cut off. Another effect of the fall of man is there's a physical curse that now is upon the earth. In Genesis chapter three, verse 17, it says that he placed a physical curse upon the land. We get sick, right? We die. Some of us lose hair. We lose our eyesight. See a lot of people wearing glasses out there. We begin to age. Did you realize that you woke up a little bit more tight this morning than you did yesterday? The aches and the pains and the hardships of this life. There are physical curses upon the land. There's sickness and disease and health. We get ripped off. Some some die early. Some some never got a a head start and they die in the womb. There's complications and and hardships all around. Why? Because when we say, God, you you can exit the scene now. We're good to go without you. It's just the absence of God is the death and disease and disconnect. It's the curse that falls upon our land. In Romans chapter 8, it says the whole universe is groaning under the weight of this curse as it awaits the return of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer the bible teaches this idea of total depravity of the human race here's pieces of the doctrine of total depravity when we speak of total depravity we refer to this radical corruption which goes to the very core of our being the word radical the word radical comes from the latin word meaning core or root so when we say that sin has radically affected all of mankind. It has gone to the core or to the root. Could I even say it goes into the seed and then whatever grows from that seed or that root, it continues in sin. It's like this. Summertime is coming and you're going to bite into that juicy apple. And you're going to get a Granny Smith, and you're going to bite into that thing, and it's going to be amazing. And it is going to, man, that's like the most reaction I got. You guys love those apples. Oh, man. And you bite into it, and it's juicy, and it's nutritious, and it's like running down your chin, and it's awesome. Right? We love this moment. And then you look at it, and it's rotten. And it's like, Ugh, you spit it out, and there's a worm inside the apple. And you're like, how did this happen? I can't believe this. And you inspect the apple, and there's no holes for that worm to have possibly gotten into that apple. How did it happen? The worm, months ago, laid larvae on a seed. The seed then began to grow around the fruit, began to grow around the seed. The the, the rotten worm was at the core, was radically in the center of that apple even before you were able to taste and see inside that apple. That is a picture of us in the womb. When conception happens, there is sin in the lineage of man as one man has sinned in Adam. So all men have sinned that have fallen him because we have been engaged in in this human race and the fall of mankind disconnected from the Lord. To the core, it's already in us. How about the Apostle Paul? He's like, Man, the things that I want to do, I, I don't do. The things that I, that I don't want to do, I find myself continually t- t- doing. Who will deliver me from this body of death? There's death in, in the very core of who I am. I can't, I can't shake it. I'm a wretched man. This is you. This is me. Sinful to our core. This is... Total depravity. Sin is not something that's on the edge or on the outside of human nature. It's not something that I need to go find and look for sin and and go into finding it somewhere. But it's something that permeates the very heart of man. It permeates the heart of people. There is no part of us that has been left untouched or marred by sin. The Bible says... And this is Romans chapter 3. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. No one seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Man, take it easy, Paul. Like that's an intense scripture. He's like, no, 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 you don't get it because you all think that you're just basically good. And we congratulate ourselves for showing up three out of four Sundays a month. That's not, that's not the game. That's not, that's not what it's about. It, it's about knowing what happened at the fall and a desperate cry out for a savior to free us from this sin. It's like we're in chains everywhere we go. Now listen, total depravity does not mean utter depravity. Utter depravity suggests that we are the worst that we possibly ever could become. Total depravity just means the totality of man and our own lives, not necessarily every single behavior, right? We can be sinful people and still do some good things, but it doesn't mean that we're living a life for God. So total and utter are two different things. Let's dive into this. We all have the potential, believe it or not, for greater wickedness. (laughs) That would be utter depravity. We have the potential to do even more sin today. You have the potential to scale to Hitler and Stalin. We have potential. In our humanistic, man-centered culture, we've embraced this unbiblical idea that people are basically good while we have a few bad apples like Hussein and Hitler or the typical person is a, generally they're a they're a nice person they just got a few bad habits to conquer oh man he's just a good old boy he's yeah he's a good guy and in our humanistic desire to connect to another human we say that they're good when the bible says no one is When we compare ourselves to fallen sinners and we compare ourselves amongst ourselves, we feel pretty good about our condition, right? Like, at least I'm not John. <laughs> Plain old John. At least, hey, I'm not that guy. And we enter into this comparison to justify our lack of godliness. And the Bible would say, no need to compare You're all in the same boat. There's no one who pursues God. When we remember the fact that we have been created in the image and in the likeness of God, to look like and to act like Him in holiness and love and truth, we realize the depths of our fallenness. So I don't want to compare myself to Jesse and then see if I'm one up or one down. I want to compare myself to the glory of God and know how I originally was created and to know now the chasm between me and him. I was made to be like that, and yet I live like this. I was made to set my eyes and fix my gaze upon that, and yet I want to set my eyes and fix my gaze on this. I was made for all of my emotion to go upon the preeminent one, and yet I get so emotionally wrapped up in things that just don't matter. It's like trying to hold water or sand. And I give my emotions to far less things. Why? Because I'm self-centered and I'm dead to God and I have a curse that's on my life and I'm just, all of earth is groaning under this thing and we live these lives disconnected from him. The Bible says, This, in Romans 3 and in Romans 6, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 2 says, all men are without excuse. We have no excuse. We can't stand before God and justify ourselves. Isaiah, he observed that from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 6, it says, there is no soundness in man. In the words of the Apostle Paul, he says, there's nothing good that dwells within us in Romans 7. Proverbs 21 says, even the plowing of the wicked is sin. There is nothing in us that's looking for God. A sinner cannot find God for the same reason a thief can't find a police officer. Because you're not looking for him. You're running from him. Oh, I can't. I can't find God because there's no desire in you to find God, or in me, in and of myself. I, I, I just can't. I just can't find Him because there's no want to. There's nothing that's breathed new breaths of life to cause the heart to come alive to its Creator again. It's it's dead. It's it's separated. Isaiah chapter forty four says this. It says that you have have been blinded by your sin. It says that your your eyes have been plastered over to where you cannot see the glory of God. So we're walking around like this, trying to find the glory of God, with a dead heart, blind eyes, no desire for him, thinking that you're going to stumble upon the glory of God. Guys, this is a very scary place. This is the reality of us without Christ. The doctrine of total depravity states that man is totally unable to contribute to his own salvation in any way because he's dead in sin. The classic Westminster Confession, it states this, there's the Westminster Confession, Man, by his fall into the state of sin, hath wholly lost all ability of will to be any spiritually good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from good and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or prepare himself thereunto. I, I'm not, I'm not in a hospital room with a doctor, a pastor, just saying, hey, take some medicine. I take some medicine. I'm not in a hospital room just needing some medication. I'm in a morgue and I'm dead and I'm not going to add to my own revival You know, I'm out and I'm dead and I lean up and I'm like, hey guys, the defibrillator's over there. If you could just bring that to me, um, I'll take it from here. No, no, no. You're not going to contribute to your own resurrection. A a person in chains is not going to contribute to their own freedoms. The idea that I I have the freedom of my will to choose what part of free does chains, where do you find free and dead? Well, I, got, I, got, I got free will to choose God. You have a dead will. It is dead. It's separate. I don't know if I've said this clearly enough. You're dead. You're separated. You're in change. You're in bondage. You're disconnected. There's no freedom in that place. You don't have freedom. You don't have a free will to go choose God. You've got to have a supernatural, powerful resurrection that's only by the power of Jesus Christ. It's not you coming up with good ideas and you're going to try to live your life better. It is absolute, complete surrender at Jesus to where he comes upon you and boom, he causes a supernatural resurrection to take place. No man chooses God, not even one. There's no one who seeks him. That's the realities of where we are pre-Christ. Our rebellion against God is total in that unregenerate man has no delight in God. Romans 3 There's no delight that we take in God. Romans 14 talks about this condition of rebellion inside of a a man's heart. Man's activities spring from a sinful heart. The Bible says that everything that is done outside of faith is sin. The sinner waking up in the morning and heading off to work, sin. Getting up and trying to provide for your family, sin. Like, but God, these are good, these are good movies, but it's done outside of a relationship with me. You're just living a life of sin. Live a life with me. And this, you're gonna be like me. You're gonna do it like me. You're gonna be made new like me, but you're just still living like yourselves. And yeah, those might be good things, but they're done out of a sinful, disconnected, dead heart. So, in this fallen condition, we are unable to submit to God or to reform ourselves. Paul lamented the fact that whenever he had the desire to do good, he was unable to carry out that desire. That's Romans 7. I want to do this and I can't do it. I'm unable. I can't live this way. Also this, finally this, our rebellion is totally deserving of not just punishment, but eternal punishment. God is completely just in condemning sinners to hell. This is 2 Thessalonians 1 6 through 9. The wages or the payment that we deserve because of the lives that we live in sin. God says, You've lived a life this way, you're without excuse. you've been born into sin and you continue to live this way you've heard the word of God spoke right the word of the Lord is is how do you have faith faith comes from hearing hearing the word of God and you've got to have these responses but man God I I can't even do these things that I want to do and the wages of this reality is that there is a heaven and there is a hell And church family, I want us to know that there is a maker of heaven and earth that wants to set free his people, to cause hearts to come alive again and respond to him. There is one and only one way to the Father. And there is one and only one way to respond to the word of God. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit supernaturally moving upon the heart of man where he causes it to come alive again. This morning as we get ready to to close in prayer, and guys, if this wasn't heavy enough, next week is part two of total depravity, so (laughs) invite a friend. And we're going to go even deeper into seeing, man, what are the ramifications of sin? A corrupt heart, the Bible says, a depraved mind, is what the Bible says, hands that are idle. We live lazy and complacent lives. You know, one of, the, one of the biggest things that Jesus comes against people with that he compares to wickedness and evil, laziness. He's handing out talents, right? And he says, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to see if my servants have been faithful in the land. And he says, you haven't done anything with your life. He says, take him and kick him out of here, my, my lazy and wicked servant." Get him out. We just live these wasteful lives, fruitless work that we live under the curse. Oh, we're going to cry out, I need a savior who will free me from this. So don't spin around for nine decades doing this. God set free my heart. We're going to create a want to inside of this church family. To where we come to the presence and we want to worship the one who has set us free. Amen? Amen. So my goal is not to leave us helpless and hopeless, but a little bit in the sense that it creates an appetite for the one who can save us. Lois Lane is in big time trouble. And do we ever need the Superman to show up on the scene and rescue his bride? Church family, would you all stand with me as we close this morning? Perhaps as I share this and preach this, for some people you're thinking, man, I do feel like I'm far from God. I do feel like I'm disconnected from the Lord. And as you're painting that picture, I do not want to wait till next week, man. I need to, I need to, have, some, I need to have a conversation now. I need to pray today. I need to repent of sin. I need to ask Jesus to come into my heart. The Holy Spirit is moving in this room, and he's working on the hearts of man. It's John 3. The Spirit blows wherever he will. And right now, maybe there's some new birth that's wanting to take place. I'm going to stand right here. And if anybody wants to come up and we can pray, we're going to ask Jesus Christ to come into our hearts, and he's going to free us, to cause us to come alive again. To break off those chains that have held us into sin for so many years. He wants to set free his bride this morning. And we can pray for salvation. I'll be down here. Pastor Andrew, if you could join me in down here. Um, Christian, if you would join me down here. And we can pray for some people. Alright? Oh, let's pray, church family. Jesus, we just thank you that you're the superman. And that even though we find ourselves in these places of sin and disconnect from you, Lord, we pray for, uh, that you would radically change us in the core of who we are. That you would uproot those places of, of sin that are deep inside of us. That you would awaken our hearts to come alive to you again. Lord, we pray that you would set free your bride. That we would fall in love with you. That we would be reformed and, and, and restored back to the image of the Son of God. Lord, we just pray over this church family for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're so glad that you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast.